pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. chapter 2 Corinthians 5 17 through 19 I want to talk to you this morning about a man in Christ a man in Christ in 2 Corinthians 5 17 it says therefore if any man be in Christ he is a new creature old things are passed away behold all things are become new and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Amen. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath commended unto us the word of reconciliation. So we have a ministry of reconciliation. That's simply just telling people that God's not mad at them and Jesus died for them and they don't have to go to hell when they die, that they can spend eternity with God and Christ. And then 2 Corinthians 5.17, I want to read in the Amplified Classic Edition. It says, therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ, the Messiah, he is a new creation, a new creature altogether. The old previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and new has come. Engrafted in Christ. You know, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're born again and baptized into the body of Christ. Engrafted into him. In other words, you become a part of him. He becomes a part of you. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. And, and, and it's because you were engrafted in. You became a part of him. He became a part of you. Yes. It's talking about uh, identification. God so identifies with us that he says we're in him. And he so identifies with us that he is in us. You can't get any closer than that. You can't identify with somebody any uh, closer than that you know my wife and I planted weeping cherry trees last year and I don't know if it was during the planting process or in transit from the nursery but one of the branches of the tree got broken off and I don't know if you know what a weeping cherry is but it's actually a crab apple stem or trunk and then they take weeping cherry branches and they engraft them into the top of it so that they sprout out like this and hang over well one of those branches broke off and it being a young tree I didn't want to lose any of the branches didn't have that many on it so I, I read where you can engraft it back into the tree so that's exactly what I did I put that branch back together and then I wrapped it with a like a cloth like tape and tied it and then of course this was in end of October so the I guess the, the leaves fell off and it went dormant. But we planted it 
Anyway, in this spring, all them branches, including the one that I engrafted back in, had blossoms on it and new leaves. So that graft took. And so that's what it's talking about here. We're engrafted into Christ. We become a part of him. And in John 15 and 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So without that trunk of that apple tree, that weeping cherry branch could do nothing if it becomes detached. If I didn't reattach it or engraft it back in, that branch would have died. And that's the same way it is with us. We are engrafted into Christ, yes. and we become a part of that vine. Yes. And that's where we draw everything right. that we need is from that vine. It yes. comes from the vine. And anytime you're separated from that branch or the vine, as Christ calls himself, then you're going to die spiritually. Yes. yes. So Paul said, old things are passed away and all things become new. And that means that the old... Uh, nature that you were born with, the nature of your previous father, the devil, uh, which is a nature of sin, and it, it has a lot to do with the flesh, yeah. and he's saying here that that nature passes away, it's called the old man, it's called the man of flesh, the man of sin, yes. that nature passes away, and you take on the nature of your new father, who is God, yes. and you, you become a person of love because that's what God is. Yes, amen. God doesn't love. He is love. Yes. And he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to prove how much he loved us. Yes. And so we become a part of that. We put off that old nature of sin and disobedience and, and living by the flesh, and we take on a new nature. But we have some choices to make along the way. We have to learn who we are in Christ yes. and who he is in us and the, the, the kind of authority and power that we have by being engrafted into the body of Christ yes. and what he does for us. You know, uh, he, uh, the, the Holy Ghost is referred to as the greater one, yes. the one that's inside of us. Yes. Greater is he that's in us yes. than he that's in the world. But, you know, uh, putting off the old nature and putting on the new nature is a daily choice. Yes. And you have to sometimes fight and struggle to stay in that new nature. Come on. That's because right. the devil don't like you walking in love. He don't like yes. you walking in that new That's nature. Right. He yep. wants you to fail. He yep. wants you to go back to your old ways. You know, the old man says, come on, let's go back to the honky-tonk, have a couple beers. It won't hurt nothing. But the new nature says, no, don't do it. That's right. You know, the, the old nature is trying, is constantly, the old man is constantly trying to raise himself up. But Paul said to reckon him dead. Yes. Uh -huh. And don't let him stick his ugly head up. That's right. And every time you try to stick his head up, you knock him in the head and knock him back down. That's right. And walk in that new nature yes. that God put into us. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But that's what passes away is that old nature, the old flesh nature, the sin nature. Yes. Yes. So you're putting off the old nature of sin and you're putting on the nature of your new father, God. Yes. Thank you. So what does it mean? It means that if you allow Christ to direct your life, again, it comes to choices. You have to allow God to, uh, or Christ to direct your life. And if you allow him to do that, he'll lead you away from that old life and he'll lead you into a new life, a better life. He'll turn things around for you and continually move you towards God's will. 
for your life. Yes. And that's where you want to be. You want to be in God's perfect will. Yes. Because everything you need along the way is going to be there. Yes, it is. When you get out of God's will, you're going to miss things. Yes. You're going to miss opportunities. You're going to miss healings. You're going to miss all kinds of uh, opportunities to share Jesus with somebody because he has you on a course and a path. And as long as you stay on that path, there's provision, there's protection, there's everything that you need. Amen. So that's what we want to do. We want to stay on that path with Christ. In Colossians, the first chapter, 12th verse, Paul says, uh, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified and made us fit to share the portion which is the inheritance of the saints, God's holy people, in the light. Verse 13 says, the Father has delivered and drawn us to himself out of the control and the dominion of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have our redemption through his blood, which means the forgiveness of sins. And here in, in verse 14, it, it used the word in whom. Uh, sometimes that's a reference to in Christ, and these are, uh, we're going to, we're going to, see that there is a lot of in him, in whom uh, type of scriptures, and we need to know what all of them say about us. Amen. But I want to look at the Apostle Paul today because his life and ministry is a pattern of how God works in each one of our lives. Yes. And it's a pattern of love and mercy and faith yes. and wisdom and grace and truth and power. Uh, and that's what Paul walked in, and we can follow in those footsteps yes. uh, you know we should we should follow and learn from him because Paul was a man of revelation Paul knew things that the other disciples didn't know yes. Paul wasn't even at the last supper but Christ gave him the revelation of everything the last supper represented and what it what it meant to have communion yes. and what it meant to take on the body of Christ and and drink the the wine that represented the blood of the covenant. The other dis disciples didn't get that revelation. Paul did. Amen. So that's why I want to look at him and look at his life. Because his life and ministry reflect the life of a man in Christ. Yes. And we have to understand what it means to be in Christ. Because just like Paul called himself a man in Christ, when we were born again, we became a man in Christ. Yes. Well, what's that mean? That's what we need to know. We need to know what it means to be in Christ and yes. what it means for him to be in us. Amen. But Paul wasn't always in Christ. As a matter of fact, at one time, he hated the very name of Christ, and he did everything he could to, to, to destroy and stamp out the church that Jesus started. And uh, he wanted to stamp out Christianity altogether. And he was known as Saul of Tarsus. Yes. And he was a well-educated religious man, uh, a Pharisee. He was probably a good man. He, was, he, he knew the law, the religious law, and he obeyed it to the best of his ability. And he thought this new movement, Christianity, and the church was going to interfere with that. He thought it was uh, blaspheming uh, the religion that he was raised with. And so he tried to stamp it out. And when Stephen, the first martyr of the church, was being stoned, Paul condoned it. As a matter of fact, it might have even been done under his authority because there's one phrase where it says that those chucking the stones laid their coats at Saul's feet, which meant that Saul was the authority 
And if he wasn't, if he didn't order the stoning, he was he was in favor of it, and he went along with it. Yes. And so Stephen was stoned, became the first martyr of the church. And then uh, uh, Paul in, in Acts chapter eight it says that Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. And a great wave of persecution began that day. This is Acts 8, 1 through 3. Sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Yes. And just like with any devout religion, they think that they're doing their work for God when they do things like this. Amen. A lot of innocent people were killed in the name of God and because yes. of religion. Amen. And then in Acts the ninth chapter, we find Saul, he's uttering threats and he's more eager now to kill the Lord's followers than ever before. And so he went to the high priest in Jerusalem and he requested uh, authority by way of a letter with a seal on it that gave him the authority to go to Damascus and go into the synagogues, drag Christians out, martyr some of them, and, and put them in chains and bring them back to Jerusalem to imprison. Yes. And again, he was a religious man. He was basically a good man who thought his religion was being attacked. But as he's approaching Damascus, the Bible says a light from heaven suddenly shone. It was brighter than the noonday sun. And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And that was Jesus asking Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, Paul, I don't think, or Saul, I don't think he ever even met Jesus let alone persecute him. And Saul answered and said, now he recognized this one thing. He says, who are you, Lord? <laughs> and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Yes. And uh, so now Paul never really persecuted Jesus, probably never met him. He knew of him, of course, but he never directly persecuted Jesus. But Jesus counted persecuting his people, his followers, other Christians, he counted that and took it personally. Yes. Why? Because we're in Christ. Yes. He's in us. Yes. You persecute him, or you persecute us, you persecuted him. Yes. You mistreat us, you mistreated him. You feed us, you fed him. You give us drink, you gave him drink. That's how closely he identifies with us. So much so that he says we're in him and he's in us. Yes. So the men with Saul, they stood speechless. They heard the voice just like Saul did, but they didn't see anyone. And Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he realized he was blind. He couldn't see. So his companions lead him by the hand to Damascus, uh, directed by the Lord, where he remained blind for three days. And the Bible says he did eat nothing or drink nothing. In other words, he fasted for those three days. And then the Lord spoke to another believer in Damascus by the name of Ananias. And he said, Ananias, I want you to go to a street called Straight to the house of Judas. 
and I want you to pray for a man there. I already gave him a vision. He, he knows that you're coming. I want you to pray for Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias kind of balked at it because he said, you know, I've heard of this Saul. He's persecuting Christians. He's killing Christians. He's taking them in chains to uh, Jerusalem and putting them in prison. And then uh, Jesus tells Ananias, he says, uh, you go pray for him. He's a chosen vessel of mine. For those of you that don't think you're good enough to do something for God, Saul would have been the last person. Saul called himself not only a sinner, but the chief of sinners. Yes. And that's who God wanted to use. Yes. So I don't care what our background is, where we came from. You know, if I was God, I would never pick me to do anything for God, let alone be a pastor. But God doesn't look at people the way that we do. That's right. And so uh, he picks the, the lowly and the ones that uh, don't appear to be too wise or something like that. And he, and he uh, confounds the wise with his, some of his choices. Yes. And that's what uh, it looked like with Saul here. Ananias is thinking, why would you pick Saul? Mm -hmm. He's a murderer. He's a persecutor. But then he says, I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And so Ananias convinced that it would be okay to go pray for him. Saul. He went and found Saul, laid hands on him, and he was healed and filled with the Holy Ghost. And then Ananias baptized Saul in water. And so Saul got the whole nine yards that day. He got everything. He was saved, sanctified, baptized, and filled with the Holy Ghost. All in one day. Amen. So Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. But the Bible says he immediately began to preach about Jesus in the synagogues. The very ones that the Jews sent to persecute and to uh, uh, put in chains and, and prison because of their beliefs in Jesus. He's preaching to the very ones telling them that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. Well, yes. they probably thought he went crazy. But this was the result of the revelation he received on yes. that road to Damascus. Yes. And, and, you know, what's really funny about it is, uh, of course, he's riding on a horse, and uh, he got knocked off his horse, set on a street called Straight. Come on. Amen. That's and that's kind of what happens to us when we have an encounter with Jesus. Yes. He straightens us out. Amen. Yes. Amen. Straightens out our theologies and the way that we think. That's right. And when we come into Christ, all of a sudden we're a changed person. I don't know about you, but I was a changed person from that yes. instant. People that I didn't like, I, I started liking. Right. Things that I hated, I started loving. Things, yes. things that I used to love that weren't right, I started hating. That's right. And it was all because of that experience I had with him. You know, I. I he didn't knock me off a horse and show me a big bright light that, like it did Paul. But that's what it took for Paul. It yes. didn't take that much for me. Amen. Yes. Amen. But Peter received the same revelation. See, Paul said, Jesus is indeed the Son of God. That was a revelation that Jesus showed him. He didn't get it from the Bible. They didn't have the Bible. Then they had the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. But in Matthew 16, 13... It says, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? 
And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, Elijah, some Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then he said, Well, who do you say that I am? And, and at first he said, Who do men say that I am? But now he gets real personal and, and, and right down in their face and says, Well, who do you say that I am? I mean, they were walking with Jesus for a, a period of time now. They seen the miracles, heard the teachings, seen the devils cast out and everything. So Jesus puts them to the test and says, Whom do you say that I am? And I believe for a few minutes there it was crickets. <laughs> Nobody wanted to speak up. And then finally Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right. And he says, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or son of Jonah. Yes. He says, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Yes. That's a revelation. Yes. That's the same revelation Paul got that Jesus was the Christ. Yes. And he said, Upon this rock, he, he said, uh, he, he started calling him, uh, his name was Peter, uh, uh, but he called him a uh, different, in the Greek, it was Petro, or Petrus and Petro. One was a stone, which was Peter's name to begin with, but now he started calling him Petra, yeah. a rock, an immovable rock. Yeah. And he says, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But the rock he was talking about was not Peter. Yeah. <laughs> Peter wasn't the first pope. Uh, the rock he was talking about was the rock of revelation that Peter received from yes. the Father Amen. that Jesus was the Christ. Amen. And upon this revelation that I am the Christ, I will build my church yes. and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Yes. And then he said, I give you the keys yes. to the kingdom. So in other words, the authority of the kingdom. Yes. And he said, whatsoever you should bind on earth should be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth should be loosed in heaven. Yes. That's a tremendous amount of authority. Yes, Amen. Yes. And he gave that not just to Peter. He gave it to the church yes. based on the revelation that God gave Peter. So revelation is a powerful thing. And you can have an understanding of something. But until you have a revelation of it, it's never going to be real to you. And we have to have a revelation that Jesus is the Christ. And that he's in us and we're in him. Absolutely. And then we have to understand what that means. Yes. So when the people heard of Paul's conversion, the Bible says they were amazed. Because they're saying, isn't this the same man that caused all this havoc in the church and the devastation among Jesus' followers? And the murder of Stephen and others and uh, the martyring of these people? And then putting them in chains. and Is this the same Saul? Yeah, it is. Well, they were afraid of him. It took a while for him to get in the door of the church because they mm -hmm. thought he was, it was a trap, you know. Right. But his preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't re refute his proofs. There's no way they could deny the proofs that he, re that he, he showed them that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is Lord and he is indeed the Messiah. They couldn't deny those proofs that Paul gave them or saw. But what a miraculous change. I mean, uh, we do it through a prayer. You know, God, God didn't have to knock most of us down and show us a light as bright as the noonday sun. He, he just convinced us, wooed us into the kingdom by the Holy Ghost. 
and somebody led us in a prayer, we accepted Jesus in our heart, and we became born again, and Christ came into us, and we uh, become a man or a woman in Christ. Amen. It wasn't that hard to do. It's not that hard to do. Amen. And uh, this is also probably the same time that Saul's name was changed to Paul. And uh, his ministry was born. And I don't know for sure because it was casually referred to in Acts the 13th chapter, which is quite about five chapters forward of chapter 8. And it was when he cast the devil out of a sorcerer by the name of Bar-Jesus. And the Bible simply says, Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he looked the sorcerer in the eye. So here it's just casually mentioning that Saul is no longer Saul, but now he's Paul. And Paul, he didn't write any of the gospels, but he wrote the epistles or the letters to the churches. And in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, one of the epistles that he wrote to the church at Corinth, the second letter to Corinth, Paul even referred to himself as a man in Christ. And in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 6, he says, It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. And boy, he did. He says, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in the body, I cannot tell, or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth, such an one was caught up to the third heaven. Now, he's talking about himself here. He is the man in Christ. And he had a, he had a vision, or he physically went to heaven, or maybe he just went to heaven in spirit. He's not sure how it happened, but it was very real to him. He found himself in heaven. And, you know, there's three heavens in the Bible that the Bible speaks of. The heaven that's over our head is called the atmosphere. It's the air that we breathe. And it goes up about 100 miles. And then that first heaven, the atmosphere ends. And then there's outer space. And I don't know how far outer space goes. I don't think we got a telescope that can see that far. But that's the second heaven. Well, the third heaven is even above that, yes. and that's where God dwells. Yes. That's where if if heaven is a planet, that's where planet heaven is. Yes. It's a long way up there. Yes. Paul went there. Yes. And then he says he wasn't sure if it was an in-body experience or an out-of-body experience. He just know he went there, and he called himself a man in Christ. He said in verse 3, and I knew such a man. Again, whether in the body or out of the body, I can't tell. Only God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise. He called it paradise. Mm -hmm. And heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. So Paul heard things and seen things that he didn't have words for. And he didn't have a description for because he'd never seen anything like that before. And, and that's why uh, Revelation has so much uh, symbolism in it because John seen some things in heaven. He didn't, know what, he didn't know how to describe them. And then he seen things going on in the earth that he didn't have anything to compare them with. And so he says, well, it looked like a locust. 
It looked like a scorpion with a stinger, you know. And we don't know if he was looking at Apache helicopters in the Battle of Armageddon or what he was looking at, but he can only describe him, describe them the way he could. Well, Paul had that experience here. He heard things uttered, uh, maybe by God and Jesus and the Holy Ghost and whoever's in heaven, some of the, the prophets and that that are in heaven. And he heard these things, and then he seen some wonderful things in paradise. And, and it wasn't that it was unlawful for him to speak of them. It was the fact that he didn't know how to describe them. He didn't know how to translate what he heard and what he seen in heaven. Yes. And so heaven's a glorious place. Yes. And I'm going to tell you that people that we know that went to heaven already and are there now, they were the same way. They were speechless when they got to heaven. Yes. I mean, they didn't know how to describe what they were seeing. Yes. They didn't know how to describe what they're feeling. Amen. And they become part of that great glory cloud that, you know, that, that are looking over the portals of glory and cheering us on. They yes. become that great cloud of witnesses. And they're yes. saying, come on now, yes. man, you don't know what you're missing come here. That's come right. on, you can yes. do it. Stick with it. Don't quit, you know. Yes. And, and they made it there. And if they could come back as much as they love you, they wouldn't come back. No. Because they know we're going to them someday. Yes, amen. And then he says, verse 5, Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory or, or brag, he says, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth, but now I forbear lest any man should Think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. In other words, he wasn't going to brag about the things he seen because he didn't want people to put him on a pedestal That's right. where he didn't belong. That's right. And then he says, in order, uh, well, in order for us to be able to understand the epistles that he wrote, we have to look at it from his viewpoint. We have to understand some of the things that he understood, uh, and especially the phrase being a man in Christ. And the epistles, like I said, are the letters that were written to the churches. And, and if you didn't know that, don't feel bad, because when I first learned about the epistles years ago, I thought they were the wives of the apostles. So, but I, I later learned that the epistles are the letters that Paul wrote to the church, and Peter wrote, and James wrote. Uh, Brother Hagen, our, our spiritual father in the faith, uh, the founder of Raymond Bible College where we went, he wrote a mini book and I taught on it here. I think I even give everybody one at one time and it's called In Him. Yes. And he said that the apostle Paul used the phrase in Christ, in him and in whom more than 130 times in his writing. So it's gotta be important. Amen. And you also find other scriptures that convey the same message, but don't exactly say specifically the phrase in him or in whom or in Christ, but you can tell that's what they're talking about. So there's even more than 130. And uh, they tell you who you are or what you are in Christ. It tells you what you have in Christ. And Brother Hagin told us to write these scriptures down meditate on them and begin to confess them and say this is who i am in christ amen this is what i have in christ yes. 
and this is uh, what I can do in Christ. We say that with the Bible. This is my Bible. Yes. I can have what it says. I can do what it says. I can yes. be what it says. Yes. And that's what Brother Hagin is saying here. Uh, learn who you are in Christ. Amen. And then begin to confess, I can have these things. I yes. can be these things. Yeah. Yes. And Paul said in Galatians 2.20, and this is my personal opinion, I call this Paul's mantra. This is what Paul based his life and ministry on. He said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life that I now live in the faith, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for Amen. me. This is Paul's mantra. Yes. And the reality of Christianity, at least for Paul, was yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Yes. That's He's describing his old nature is dead and gone to him. Yes. Yeah. It's dead, it's buried, and now he lives his life in Christ. Yes. Yet not I, my old nature, my fleshly nature, the yes. man of sin, but Christ lives in me. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you can see this throughout his ministry. Yes. So Jesus, we know, is alive, but not just in heaven, but in every believer by the Holy Spirit. When you're born again, Jesus comes into you, you in him, and, and he's alive in you. Amen. Believers are alive, not just on the earth, but also in heaven by virtue of being in Christ and him being in us. The Bible says we're seated in heavenly places with Christ. Well, how could that be? Because we're in him. Yes. Where he is, we are. Yes. And he's in us. Yes. And where we are, he is. Amen. So when you go to those little secret places of yours, he don't wait outside the door. He's in you. Amen. He goes too. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But it was the joy of Jesus that strengthened Paul all throughout his ministry in all adversity. And he said he finished his course with joy yes. and completed the assignment that was given to him by Christ. Boy, I hope we can say that someday. I, you know, I finished my life with joy and I completed the assignment that he gave me. Yes. In Acts chapter 20 and 24, it says, this is Paul saying, but none of these things move me. That's right. All this adversity, all these things that's happened to him. He says, none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. That was his yes. mission. Yes. That's our mission. Yes, it is. And then in Philippians, which was one of Paul's last letters that he wrote, he speaks of joy and rejoicing 16 times in just four short chapters. Hallelujah. If a man in Christ is nothing else, he's a happy man. Yeah. Yes. He's on. a man full of joy. Mm -hmm. yep. And if you're not experiencing that, then maybe you need another dip. Amen. Amen. I'm not saying you're perfect. You run around laughing and full of joy all the time, but that should be most of your life. That's right. If you're a man in Christ, you should be a happy man. Yes. A man that's full of joy. Amen. Paul said, rejoice. Again, I say, rejoice. Yes. In Acts 26 and 2, this is towards the end of Paul's life, he stood before King Agrippa 
and the leaders of the Roman Empire at that time. And he said, King Agrippa, I think myself to be happy. This is after he had testified and told him the things he went through. He even told them of the experience he had on the road to Damascus. Yeah. And, and, and King Agrippa and the Roman emperors thought he was crazy. Yeah. He said, you just too, too much knowledge, too much education, too much religion, Paul. Mm -hmm. And he says, King Agrippa, I think myself happy. <laughs> Another translation says, I have been congratulating myself, King Agrippa. <laughs> Paul went through hell and high water, yeah. and he says, I think myself happy. Yeah. I, I've been so happy, I'm congratulating myself. <laughs> I'm so happy I have to tie my shoes together to keep from dancing. I'm so happy I have to <laughs> put my hands in my pocket to keep from clapping. Paul was happy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> A happy man. And when you consider the adversity that he went through and the things that he suffered in his life as a minister of Christ, he worked harder than any other minister. Yes. And Jesus told Ananias, I done showed him all the things that he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul had no idea at the time what he was going to suffer. So he was whipped within an inch of his life. Not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, but five times with the cat of nine tails. Yes. He didn't have any skin left on his back. He was, a, he was one big scar. Mm -hmm. and, and then it said that he was three times beaten with rods. They had these little skinny rods, and man, they, whew, some, some of you from the eastern Kentucky or the the Ridge Runners, they know what that twist, that switch felt like yes, on the back did. of your legs. Well, he yes. get beat with them things on his back yes. and on his legs, anywhere they wanted to hit. Three times he was beaten like that. He spent more time in prison than anybody else. Amen. He stoned and left for dead once, shipwrecked three times. He spent a night and a day treading water in the ocean, sharks swimming around him and everything else. He was in danger in traveling in waters and from robbers and from his own countrymen. He was in danger of the heathen that he ran into on his journeys, uh, his missionary journeys, building the churches, dangers in the city and the wilderness and the sea. He was in weariness and painfulness often, in hunger, thirst, and fasting, often cold and naked. And beside all those things, he had the burden of all the churches that he started. And in all of that, he said, King Agrippa, I think myself happy. Amen. He was a happy man. Yes. He was congratulating himself Hallelujah. for being so happy. And, and, and so, if that was me, I'd have been saying anything, but I think myself happy. I would have said, oh, King Agrippa, I'm a whipped man. I'm a beaten man. I'm a cold and hungry and wet man. I'm a man that hasn't had a shower in months. I'm a tired man, a mistreated man, a lonely man, a di disappointed man. I'm a man of depression. And, and he's standing there in front of King Agrippa in chains and rags, hair all every which way, he had yes, bed head yes, and everything yes. else, probably had uh, fleas and ticks on him and everything else. And he said, King Agrippa, I think myself happy. I'd have been anything but happy. 
A happy man. Yes. If a man in Christ is nothing else, he's a happy man. That's right. We should be happy men and women. Yes. Yes. And when Paul met Jesus on that road to Damascus, his whole life and identity changed for the better. And he was no longer Saul of Tarsus, a murderer and persecutor, but he became a new creature. The Bible says a new creation, a changed man. But he was not only a changed man, he was a different man. His, his name, his destiny, his mission, everything changed about Paul. He became a changed man, and that new identity he had was in Christ. Yes. Yes. Now he has a new identity in Christ. Yes. Paul's assignment was to assemble the thoughts that were given to him by Jesus, and that's what he did in his epistles or his letters to the churches. And he was a continuation of Jesus' words. Because yes. Jesus came to Paul by revelation. And, and, you know, when he first came to Jerusalem and that, they said he, he disappeared for three years. Mm -hmm. And I think it was that three years, or a little bit more even, it was that three years that he sat at Jesus' feet and received all the revelation that he received. Amen. Yes. Again, whether in body, out of body, he don't know. But he was there. Amen. And he became a, a mouthpiece for Jesus, and he was used to speak and write to the believers of every generation. Yes. These letters were written 2,000 years ago, but they're still applicable today. Yes, hallelujah. And this is not only true of Paul, and this is the thing that we have to understand. Any person in Christ, yes. you become a new person. You have a new identity. Yes. And... and like he said, you won't even recognize yourself. Paul was a happy man. And this is just one of the many revelations that Jesus gave to Paul. Paul reveals them in his letters to the churches. One spirit-filled Bible scholar uh, said that Paul's letters are an extension of Jesus' words. When Jesus, uh, Jesus spoke to his disciples and to countless numbers of people in his audiences when he preached and he did it for three and a half years during his ministry but when he uh, died was buried resurrected and went to heaven it says that the revelation he gave paul was a continuation of the things that he wanted to say but didn't have time to say them. amen or didn't have the revelation of them himself and you think well jesus knows everything no, he didn't. Jesus had to do things by faith, just like we do. Yes. He went to the cross in faith. He went to the grave in faith. He was resurrected by faith. Yes. He had no guarantees. And the Gospels, for example, are a picture of redemption, where Paul's letters are an x-ray view of re redemption. You know the difference between a picture and an x-ray? The x-ray you can see inside, yes. which you can't see on the picture. That's right. And that's what Paul gave us. He was given more revelation than any other disciple. And in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 through 10, it says, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted yes. above measure. Yes. He had so much revelation, he was trying to keep from getting the big head. He was trying to get keep from getting to the place where, look at me, I know some, so much more than everybody else. And so, yes. 
God sends him a messenger from Satan to buffet him, to keep him in line. And he said, I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And Jesus told him, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect yes. in weakness. Yes. And most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Yes. See, if he got the big head and got all proud because of all the revelation he had, God, uh, Jesus wouldn't have uh, rested upon him. The, uh, the revelation would have left because he would have been resisted by God because of his pride. Yes. And so he says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. And he would rather glory in his infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon him. He said, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. That's why he was a happy man. Every time he was persecuted or suffered for Jesus' name, he took pleasure in it. He said, I take pleasure in it, reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. He said, for when I am weak, then am I strong. Yes. So he looked for persecution. He looked for distresses and, and uh, because it made him stronger. A Bible scholar by the name of James Stalker said this, Paul's letters contain the thoughts that Jesus carried away from this world unuttered. His letters contain the thoughts that Jesus never got to speak while he was here with his disciples. And he has so much more to tell his disciples, but he couldn't tell them while he was on the earth for a couple reasons. Number one, in John 16, 12, he says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. They couldn't handle what he was about to say. Yes. They couldn't understand what he was about to say. Yes. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. And a lot of those things he showed through the Apostle Paul yes. in his writings. He said, he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you a little while, and you shall not see me, and again a little while, and you shall see me, because I go to the Father. See, another reason why Jesus couldn't tell him some things is because he didn't know himself. I mean, he had to wait until after his death, burial, and resurrection before he could tell them anything about death. He didn't. He never tasted death. And so until he tasted of death, until he went to hell and defeated the devil, took the keys of death and hell away from the devil, he couldn't tell him about that experience because he didn't know he never had it. And so there was things he didn't tell them because he just didn't know and those are the things he revealed to Paul, and Paul told us. Yes. No other disciple, including, uh, Jesus himself didn't tell us certain things, and no other disciple had the revelation to tell us, because they, had, they wrote the four Gospels, everything Jesus did while he was alive and his crucifixion, but that's where their knowledge stopped. That's where their revelation stopped, was at the crucifixion. The death, the burial, they knew about the resurrection, but what happened those three days between the death on the cross and the resurrection of Christ? Nobody knew. 
Jesus revealed it to Paul because Jesus experienced it. And then he comes to Paul in a vision or brings Paul to him in a vision and reveals it by revelation. He said, Paul, this is what happened after I died on the cross. This is where I went. This is what I did. This was the experiences I had. Teach my church. And that's what Paul does through his epistles. Amen. Trying to get done here. Just give me another minute. But Paul's revelation is for every believer, or God wouldn't have revealed it to him. He wouldn't have had him write it. He put it in an epistle or a letter to the church so we could learn it and we could read it. And there's powerful revelation of truth in Paul's letters. There's a system of truth, as some translations put it, in Paul's letters that not only set you free, but set you free indeed. In Romans 6, 17, he says, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Now, the form of doctrine, it definitely refers to the gospel truths that the Apostle Paul is making argument for, but I also believe that it refers to a specific form of doctrine or teaching, and that's in Romans 10, 9, and 10. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's a form of doctrine. That's exactly what Paul experienced on the road to Damascus. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Saul got saved on the road to Damascus. That's when he became the new creature or the new creation. And this is a form of doctrine that got you born again. Paul wrote that revelation. Paul wrote that doctrine. Listen to it in a couple other translations. This is the Weymouth translation. He said, but thanks be to God that though you were once enthralled, thraldom to sin, which means under the power of sin, that's what we were before we came to Christ. Yeah. You have now yielded a hearty obedience to that system of truth in which you were instructed. The wave translation says, thank God your thraldom to sin, the power that sin had over you, is a thing of the past. You have rendered allegiance from the heart. You have rendered it to the new teaching, the mold into which you have let your nature be run. In other words, you've taken on a new nature now. Amen. So becoming a new creation in Christ is what sets you free from the power of sin and death. This this is just scratching the surface. This is just the beginning of what we need to know of a man in Christ, a happy man in Christ. I don't know about you, but when I got born again, I was a happy man. Then I was a sad man. Then I was a happy man. Then I was a sad man. But the more revelation I got and the more I understood what it meant to be in Christ and and me and him being in me, I became more and more happy man. Yep. And I can honestly say that even through some of the things that we've been through, including this current battle that we're in, I'm still a happy man. Because I have an understanding, just a little understanding, yes. and it keeps me happy. Amen. I can keep the old sin nature down. Amen. Yes. 
I don't let that old man raise his ugly head. He tries once in a while, but Pastor Ed slaps him back down. <laughs> but I keep him down more than he's up. Amen. I don't serve that old nature anymore. I have a new nature, and that nature is the, the nature of my Father God, which is love. Yeah. And I walk in love. Yes. No matter what people do to me, say yes. to me, yeah. have done to me, yes. I've forgiven them all, and I continue to walk in love. Yes. That's what a man in Christ does. Yes. That's what a happy man does. That's and that's what keeps them happy. Yes. Amen. Amen. You're a changed person. Yes, you are. When you're born again, yes. whether you felt it or not, you changed. That's right. You put off the old sin nature and you took on a new nature. But like I said, it's choices every day. Amen. You have to choose to walk in that new nature. Yes, you but do. But the more you walk in the new nature, the less the old nature raises his ugly head. That's right. Keep that old man dead. Keep yes. that old sin nature dead. Keep that old flesh under control. Yes. Yes. Paul said that he disciplined his body. He Amen. buffeted his Amen. body every day. Yes. So if the great apostle Paul, a handy yes. man in yes. Christ, had to discipline his flesh, guess what? Yes. We have to discipline ours. Yes, we do. Maybe next time I preach, we'll get into what a man is. And, you know, he's a, he's a spirit. The real man, the real you, is a spirit. Yes. You live in a body and you have a soul, yes. which consists of the mind, the will, and the emotions. Yes. When you die and go to heaven, yes. Come on. then everything goes with you except your body. That's right. The real you, the spirit man that's living in this body with yes. your mind, your will, and your emotions yes. go to heaven. You'll be yes. the same person in heaven that you are here. Yes. You have the Lord. same memories and everything. It all goes to heaven. And it awaits the resurrection of a new and glorified body. Yes. yes. But I want to get into what it means to be a spirit, soul, and live in a body. Yes. Amen. It'll give you a tremendous understanding of who you really are. Yes. You're a man in Christ. Yes. Yeah. And he's in you, but he's in your spirit. Because when you die and put off this old tabernacle, this old tent, this old dwelling place that you lived in for a short time on this earth, Christ goes with you to heaven in your spirit. Yes. He don't stay in the old body and get buried. Thank you, Lord. That's the old uh, body of flesh, the sin nature. He don't yes. stay there. He's in your spirit. He's That's in your right. heart. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yes. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you. Yes. We thank ourselves happy, Lord. Yes, we do. We thank ourselves to be a man and a woman in Christ. Yes. And Christ is in us. Yes. Christ in you, the hope of glory, yes. you said. So, Lord, it's a glorious revelation to know that we're in you and you're in us. And apart from you, we cannot bear any fruit. Because once we're detached from you, we're detached from the vine, yes. we will just shrivel up and die. Yes. So God, help us to walk your path, your perfect will, so that we can stay a man or a woman in Christ. And that you'll stay in us and abide in us and us in you and your word will abide in us. And God, you said if that's the case, then we could ask what we will and you'll give it to us. So yes. we thank you and praise you that we are in you, you and you're in us. Yes. Give you glory for it in yes. Jesus' name. Help us walk that path yes. in the days to come. 
Help us overcome the challenges that we'll be faced with. Yes. We know the devil doesn't want us to dwell in you or you in us. And he'll do everything he can to raise that old nature up against you. So we thank you and praise you that we're not going to allow that to happen because we're too strong in you. Yes. And even when we feel weak, help us to remember that's when we're really strong. Yes. As we glory in our infirmities and our weakness. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Well, I hope you got something out of that today. Yes. A man in Christ. A happy man. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.